Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our 6pm podcast. Uh, my name's Murray. And I'm Sarah. Uh, and we're the leaders of the Young Adults Bible Study here at City Anglican Church. Uh, this week, our Bible study is going to be leading us through the service. Over the last little while, I'm sure church has looked quite different for all of us. Uh, maybe you're... In your PJs! Maybe you've got kids climbing all over you. <laughs> or maybe while you're washing up. Maybe you're gathered around the dinner table. Or maybe this is the first time you've ever watched church. We're very much missing doing church together in the physical building all together. But no matter how church looks for you, we're all still gathering around God's word. And I'm so thankful for the online platforms that we have that mean that we can still connect with one another and still have that sense of community, even though church is looking very different. Tonight we're continuing our sermon series through the book of 1 Peter. And Peter's told us that we are to be living such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how submission to appropriate authorities plays into that. We've looked at submitting to the governments over us. And last week, we looked at the slave and master relationship. Tonight, we're looking at the relationship between husbands and wives. I'm hoping by the end of the night, I'll be able to just get Sarah to do all my jobs for me. We'll see how we go. Or maybe we'll learn what godly submission actually is. But first, we're going to join together and sing praise to our great God. Let's sing. Full of wonder, full of fear Come behold His power and glory Yet with confidence draw near For the One who holds the heavens And commands the stars above Is the God who bends to bless us With an unrelenting Take heart and stand amazed Rejoice 
Hey guys, uh, I'd like to introduce you to my mate Anthony. He's one of the members of our Young Adults Bible Study. And I've got him along here today just to share a little bit about how he became a Christian. Uh, yeah, so Anthony, tell us a little bit about... Yeah, so um, it happened about two years ago um, when I first came to church. Um, I don't think I was a Christian at the time. Well, obviously not going straight to church, but I was gone for a couple of months and I was telling everyone yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But I was still doing things that a Christian shouldn't do. Um, then I think, um, yeah, I think I remember one one night just like being really depressed and sad and, and just um, kind of like crying out to God for help. Like, if you are there, just like, please help me, get me through this. And um, and yeah, he answered my prayers. I um, got into a better better home situation. I uh, moved in with, um, you know, into a Christian home where um, I got a good uh, Christian role model and um, also a father figure. And he's helped me out a lot um, in life as well. So yeah, I thank God for that. That's really cool. Um, we're really thankful for how God has acted in you and for him bringing you along to join our Bible study group. Uh, we started a young adults Bible study group earlier in the year. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've been enjoying about coming along to Bible study. Yeah, I really enjoy that um, we study the Bible, obviously, and um, that um, we look at stuff that um, applies to life now and um, in current times. Yeah, awesome. Uh, let me quickly pray, thank God for Anthony, and then we're going to hear from God's Word. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you have worked in Anthony's life, that you have brought him uh, to faith in your son. Thank you for forgiving him uh, and for changing him. Please continue to do so for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks very much, Anthony. Uh, we're going to come to hear God's Word read for us now, and then John's going to preach for us. G'day, my name is Max, and I'll be reading the Bible for us this evening. The Bible reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. I'll give you a moment to find that. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, starting at verse 1. Wives, in the same way... Submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over, without words, by the behaviour of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Hi, as we get into this passage, let me begin by praying. Dear Lord, I pray as we reflect on your word now, that the joy and the peace and the salvation we have through your Son might be so evident in our lives that those we love might see the difference and turn back to you. 
Amen. Whenever I talk to Christians with unbelieving spouses, they almost always say three things. Uh, the first thing they say is how much they love their husband or wife. And of course, that's, the, that's what we want every uh, married couple to say. The second thing they say is how much they would love for that person to be saved and to come to Christ. And the third thing is, there's almost always a touch of sadness because their faith, which is so fundamental to their personhood, is something they can talk about with their spouse, but it's not something they share together. And then for a few, uh, their faith is a source of real tension in their marriage because they come to life with very different worldviews. And so that impacts how they spend time together. It impacts their financial priorities. It impacts how they raise their children. This particular passage is focused on wives, uh, talking about how they might win their unbelieving husbands. But as we read the passage, it's, it's difficult not to become distracted by the language of submission. Because for many of us, the word submission is associated with other words like coercion and powerlessness. And even though it's for a good cause of winning our husband, we don't like the idea of ever being in a position where we feel that vulnerable. And I think those negative associations are then reinforced within the passage with other words like gentle and quiet and weaker partner. And so we find a passage like this, at best tone deaf, and at worst perpetuating a social and gender stereotype that actually places women at risk. And that reaction is not unjustified. There are Christian men and even ministers who abuse their wives and then justify their sinful behaviour using the Bible. And there are Christian wives who want to honour God and they want to honour their marriage vows, who put up with it and keep justifying their behaviour and keep being willing to forgive and live in a situation which they should never be living in. And so this is how one Australian journalist described the situation for Christian marriages in Australia. Overall, we heard repeatedly from counsellors and psychologists that Christian women are less likely to leave abusive marriages, more likely to blame themselves for abuse, more prone to believe the abuse will change, and unlikely to be protected by their pastors. That is an absolutely tragic assessment of the situation. And can I encourage you, if you are in an abusive relationship, then reach out and get help. As Christians, we are absolutely committed to marriage, but there is a time when separation and divorce are the right and godly things to do. So acknowledging how this passage might be misused, let's see what it actually says about wives submitting to husbands, and in particular, in the context of unbelieving husbands. So this passage is part of a bigger conversation about submission, and it started in chapter 2 with these words. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then Peter went on to talk about what it looks like to submit to those in government and how to be good citizens in society. And that feels particularly relevant in this season of COVID. And then last week it got a little bit more personal as we talked about submitting to those who have authority over us. And so the direct context was slaves submitting to their masters, but there was a principle that we could apply 
in terms of how we submit to our bosses or how we might submit to a lecturer, uh, even if they've taken a disliking to us because we are a follower of Christ. And so this section fits within that bigger theme of submission. And today, it gets even more personal still as we talk about submitting in the context of marriage. And so verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. Peter addresses wives specifically in the context of unbelieving husbands, because that was the situation they were facing in the early church. But the passage is just as relevant today for husbands who have unbelieving wives. And the point is, how do we live in such a way that we might win the other person for Christ. But this passage does also have something to say about roles in the family. The words in the same way connect back to the theme of submission, not to the theme of harsh masters. Uh, but even so, uh, that word submission is a little bit like fingernails, you know, grating down the blackboard. You know, God has built order into everything. Uh, we see it in creation, we see it in the natural laws of nature, we see it in our work, and we see it in our family. We are all created equal. We are all created in the image of God, but we are also created differently. And so in marriage, my wife isn't just my partner, she is my complementer. So my maleness is complemented by her femaleness and vice versa. Of course, it's not always possible to have a husband and a wife in a family, and simply having a husband and a wife doesn't guarantee a happy or healthy family. But perhaps even more contentious in our culture is the biblical view that men are to lead their families. You know, it's not about who goes out and earns the money or who stays home to look after the children. It's not about who chooses where you go on holiday or the colour of the couch. Uh, it's not about who's the most assertive or outgoing. It's about taking responsibility for leading your family in godliness. It's about making sure that your wife and children feel safe and secure. And it's about making godly choices about how we spend our time and use our financial resources and use our gifts. You know, everyone in the family has a role and responsibility, but husbands are called to lead. Uh, the problem is that so often we fail to do that well, or we twist our role uh, to make it something that is actually profoundly ungodly and really is just compensating for our own inadequacies. You know, in the context of this passage, you know, leading our family doesn't give husbands the right to try and force submission. Uh, submission is something that must be willingly given. You know, we give it because we love the other person, because we want to express our devotion uh, to the other person. And if a wife chooses not to submit to a husband, then that's something they should talk about as a couple, um, because communication is important. But ultimately, that's a decision between her and God. And so the right response isn't for a husband to try to force or coerce or manipulate. As we'll see later, the right response is to honour their wives. So even though there are plenty of people who will look at a Christian view of marriage and family and say that we're wrong, the best response isn't to argue back. Uh, the best response is to show people why God's way works. So in this passage, Peter is addressing wives with unbelieving husbands. 
And he's saying, choose to submit, not out of a fear or obligation, but simply so that your behaviour might win them to Christ. For these wives, having a different religion to their husband was already a big deal and perhaps a source of tension within their marriage and certainly social tension. And so these wives want to say to their husbands, my first allegiance may well be to Christ, but that doesn't diminish my commitment to our marriage and my commitment to you. In fact, it strengthens it. And she demonstrates how her devotion to Christ strengthens the family by being willing to submit to her husband. And in doing so, she honours God, but she also honours him. You know, no one is ever going to become a Christian simply by seeing our good behaviour. There's just not enough there to go, nice person, I need to follow Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And we need our words. We need to tell people about the hope that we have in Christ. But we also know that often our actions speak louder than our words. And so we need to show people what it means for us to follow Christ and to make that message compelling. And if Peter was talking to husbands who had unbelieving wives, then he would say to them, lead your family well, honour your wife, and as you do that, you will make the good news about Jesus more real. And so as we continue in our passage, we get a picture of what behaviour is compelling. So continuing in verse 2. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from an outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of greater worth in God's sight. So the husband should be able to see her reverence for God. She doesn't worship the Roman gods. She doesn't participate in the sexual revelry that went with some of the local religious cults. But Peter also wants to emphasise the attractiveness of character. Uh, There's nothing wrong with fashion, there's nothing wrong with wanting to look good, but of infinitely more value is character. Uh, Peter is talking to wives, but if he was addressing husbands, he would say the same thing. He would say, you know, it's not your sculpted pectorials or your flash car or the size of your wallet that makes you attractive. It's being a good husband. It's leading your family well. It's helping your wife to feel loved and secure. Uh, And if every now and again we could put the toilet seat down, I think that would also be appreciated. Uh, But I suspect we're a little bit uncomfortable with this passage as it describes godly character because the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit sounds a little bit weak. It sounds a little bit like the 50s stereotype of a housewife who's seen but not heard. Uh, Peter is addressing wives, but these aren't particularly feminine qualities. Uh, They're Christian qualities. And so, for example, the prophet Isaiah says these words, The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in a peaceful dwelling, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. And Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So they're not particularly feminine qualities, and gentleness and quietness aren't the same as timidity. Uh, So we should still speak our mind. We should still speak out about bad behaviour and injustice. 
We should have strong opinions. But we don't need to have a strong opinion about everything. And if we're always trying to fight for our rights or our perceived rights, then inevitably we're going to have a lot of conflict in our home. I don't think any wife wants an argumentative, overbearing husband. And I don't think a husband wants an argumentative, overbearing wife. And Peter is saying, if you want an example, then look to the godly women of the Old Testament. And in particular, look to the example of Sarah, who is married to Abraham. So verse 6, who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. You are her daughter if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. In terms of Jewish history, Sarah really was the ultimate role model of virtue. And Peter is saying, if you follow her example, if you submit to your husband, if you do good, if you resist fear, then truly you are her daughter. You share in the same promises that God made Sarah and Abraham. Uh, But you're also her daughter in spirit. Uh, There's no greater compliment than to be associated with someone who you admire deeply. But with submission also comes a real fear. Uh, For a wife, it might be a fear about how her husband will respond to her faith. It might be a fear that she will lose her sense of identity or her sense of power. It might be how her peers respond when she's no longer quite as enthusiastic about hairstyles and fashion and how she looks. So choosing to submit to someone else takes real strength and conviction. And ultimately, her motivation is a desire to see her husband come to Christ. Finally, let's talk about husbands. And in one sense, verse 7 is a little bit of a digression because it's not about how one person submits to win another person for Christ. It's about how a husband honours his wife. So verse 7, Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And once again, as we read these words in our context, there's plenty of opportunity to be offended because only two words really stand out to us. Uh, It's not be considerate or with respect or gracious gift. It's weaker partner. So before we throw stones at the screen and storm out or turn it off, uh, why don't we just take a moment and persevere and see what this passage is actually saying. So in the same way that wives are to do good for the sake of their husbands, husbands are called to do good for the sake of their wives. And that means forsaking their needs for the needs of their wife. Your respect doesn't adequately capture uh, the full meaning of the word here. A better word uh, to describe uh, their relationship to their wife would be honour. So the husband has a particular role leading the family, but he leads by honouring his wife. Uh, The Apostle Paul has something similar to say in the book of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sacrifice and honour aren't just about the big dramatic things of life. It's not just a willingness to jump in front of a bus to save her and then feeling like the rest of life we can just sit around on the couch like a bit of a bum. It's about making choices every day to build up rather than tear down. It's about being conscious of our mood and our temper and how that impacts the rest of our family. 
It's about valuing her opinion and being quick to listen and affirming her role in the home or outside of the home. And it's about making sure that she feels sexually loved and not just sexually used. A secular view of relationships starts by making it all about me and my needs. And then we try to work out how do I accommodate the other person into my life. A Christian view of relationships starts with the other person and recognising their needs and recognising how do we satisfy them so they feel loved. And it works best when both parties are trying really hard to make sure the other person feels like their needs are being met. In one sense, both approaches want the same outcome, that everyone's needs are met. But they start from a very different place and they start with a very different motivation. And so that changes the dynamic dramatically. Because for the person who makes it all about them and their needs, then often there's a level of frustration when their needs aren't being met. Or when they feel that they're trying hard to meet the needs of the other person, but the other person isn't keeping up their end of the deal. Uh, for Christians, though, we get to take a real pleasure in seeing the other person having their needs met. And hopefully we also have a real freedom in enjoying when other people, when our wife or our husband, is satisfying our needs. So why would Peter say that women are weaker? He certainly doesn't mean inferior. Both men and women are created in the image of God. We are equal. We are co-heirs in eternal life. But whenever we submit to someone else, we relinquish power. And that makes us more vulnerable. As a generalisation, women are weaker than men physically. And again, that makes them more vulnerable. And tragically, we see that in things like domestic violence statistics. As a generalisation, women are weaker financially. And that was certainly true back then, when a woman was completely financially dependent on her husband. Uh, but even today, uh, as we have more women in the workforce, we still see women being more vulnerable. And so, believe it or not, there's still pay inequality, which I find astounding. Uh, if wives take time away from work to raise children, then that has an impact on career advancement and job opportunities, and later on, superannuation. And so again, all of those things make wives more vulnerable. And then it's made even worse when husbands fail to support them in the way that they should. So it's not your money or their money, it's our money. Yeah, you know, when we marry, two people become one. And it's a bit like the Trinity, uh, three persons, but each person having a unique role and a unique contribution to the whole. And certainly that should also be true in marriage, where we work together to satisfy the needs of the other and to make sure everyone feels secure. You know, this passage is primarily about wives submitting to unbelieving husbands so that they might win them for Christ. But it does also have a lot to say about marriage generally, about how we love one another and how we satisfy the needs of the other person. And it's not about, you know, putting me first. It's about saying, no, we put God first. We put the other person second. And we place ourselves third. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to be willing to submit to another person, 
then we really are trusting that God knows best. And we need to be motivated by a deep conviction that our behaviour and our willingness to submit might have a positive impact on their life, that we might be able to win them for Christ. And so let's pray that we might have that sense of conviction, that we are willing to give up our rights for the sake of the other. Let me pray. Dear Lord, it's so easy to take your grace for granted and to become ungrateful and complacent. I pray that by your spirit, you might help us to truly appreciate the salvation we have through your son. I pray that our love for you and our love for others might overwhelm our selfishness and fear and that we might be willing to do whatever it takes within our power to save those around us. Amen. Well, friends, we've heard from God's word. And to give us the opportunity to reflect and consider how we might respond to what we've heard, I want to play a piece that I wrote a number of years ago for some good friends as they got married. They wanted to build their life together on the foundation of knowing Jesus and living his way. And so I wrote a piece uh, and played it for the processional. Uh, it was a very special uh, time. But I want to share it with you now because that's really the goal for each one of us, whether we're married or not, to build our lives on the foundation of knowing Jesus and putting him first and above every other relationship in life. Let me share this with you. That's called Knowing You.
Friends, it's interesting to see that throughout the scriptures, numerous times, the picture of a marriage relationship is used as an image to help us understand the kind of relationship that we as God's people can have with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, because of his death on the cross, we can have a relationship now with the God who created us. A relationship, an eternal relationship that begins now and, and goes into eternity. What a wonderful hope. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. And it's only because of Jesus' death for us on the cross. And so as we come around the Lord's table tonight, the, the bread reminds us that his body was given for us on the cross. And the juice reminds us of his blood which was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. If, uh, if you need to, just pause the podcast and grab a bit of bread, grab the juice that uh, you need, and uh, we'll share in this very, very special meal together. As we come around the Lord's table, it's important that we confess our sins, because that's why Jesus went to the cross, so that he could pay the penalty our sins deserve. So let's say these, the words of this prayer of confession together. It's on the screen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have gone our own way and broken your laws. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you more and more. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, God is slow to anger and abounding in love, gracious to his children. And he forgives all who truly repent and uh, ask him for that forgiveness. And so we rejoice in that. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had again given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, in obedience to Christ, take this bread, and eat it, remembering that Christ's body was given for you to pay for your sins on the cross. And be thankful. And take the cup and drink it, remembering that Christ's blood was shed to pay for your sins so that we could be forgiven by a holy and loving and merciful God. Let's drink together. Well, friends, let's pray. Loving Father, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, not even interested in you, that's when you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. By his life and death, he declared your love, gave us grace, and opened the gates of heaven by his resurrection. May we who share in the Lord's Supper 
share this good news with all we know that they too may find life in Jesus' name. Keep us steadfast in this glorious hope that we have. Fill us with the inexpressible joy of our salvation. And help us, Lord, in this coming week to live to your praise and glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now we're going to spend some time in prayer, so please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you are the amazing God who made everything in heaven and on earth. You are powerful and holy and righteous and loving. So loving that you did not spare your only son to save us from our sin and make us right with you. In this we see your generosity, humility, grace, power and sovereignty. Nothing shows your majesty greater than your son Jesus, his death and resurrection and the incredible news of the salvation that he offers us. These things and many more make you worthy of praise. So we pray that your name would be glorified as is only fitting. Lord, we pray that your will be done. The Bible tells us that your will is to have your name glorified and to do it through saving your people. Lord, help us as your saved people here on earth to honour you by seeking to save the lost, making new followers of you so that they can become part of your kingdom. In heaven, all people honour you as they should and we pray that we can do that here too, while we long for Jesus to return. And then your name will be perfectly honoured and your kingdom fulfilled. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, we ask that you would provide us with our daily needs. We know that all things come from you, so we're all reliant on you to provide for our needs day to day. Lord, thank you for blessing many of us with an abundance of things, things that we need and even things we don't need. We pray particularly for those within our community for whom that is not the case and struggle to get by day to day. Please provide them with what they need and help us, who, you, to whom you have given much, uh, to be generous with what we have to help those who need it. And Lord, we thank you for our mobile food pantry here at church uh, that is a small way for us to be generous with what we have and lord we pray pray that you would bless that ministry and lord we know that our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven to be washed clean in your sight so that nothing that we have done can stand between us and you and the eternal salvation you offer we think of our sins and the ways we don't live as we should. And in doing so, we hurt you, ourselves, others and the world around us that you made. Please forgive us for these things. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, be with us by your Spirit, so that we are not only sorry for our sins, but flee from them. Help us to say no to sin and choose to live as you have called us to, 
lives changed by the gospel that overflow with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Help us as your people to be models to the world of your love and in so doing bring honour to your name. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. We also want to pray tonight for our world uh, as the chaos of this year continued throughout the week. Particularly we think of the death of George Floyd and the ensuing riots and protests that have taken place most prominently in America following his death. Please be with George's family at this time and with all those who have experienced abuse or discrimination simply for being a minority. We also acknowledge that much of the response from the American public has been problematic and led to loss and hardship of its own. And similarly, we pray for those who have been impacted by that. But Lord, most of all, we pray that some good might come of this destruction and pain, for we know you are sovereign, and in Jesus we see that you can bring from injustice, justice, and from suffering, you can bring salvation. So we pray that all this may lead to justice for George and some progress to a more loving, accepting, just and equal world. And we pray that in all the chaos and disaster of this year, that some people might see that you are the only true sovereign and loving God who alone can bring the perfect world that we long for and seek it for themselves. Amen. Well, guys, thanks for joining us for the 6 p.m. podcast. And whatever it's looked like for you, I'm encouraged that we've joined together in fellowship over God's word. Make sure to leave a comment on Facebook on this podcast so that we can know how you have listened today and um, maybe something that you've learned. How about I pray for us as we finish our time together? Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us. Thanks for the chance to gather around your word. Thanks for John's teaching tonight. Please help us to put it into practice, that, may we, that we may glorify you and lead those around us to faith in your Son. Uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, Sarah. Trying to be considerate of you, I'm going to go and make you, go, make you a tea. See you all later. I will submit to that. Bye.